Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome in, welcome back. Rosenblum and Spiegel on Saturday Suckage 1204. We'll be here till 2 o'clock. The full bowl of Saturday Suckage. So the best thing I read this week about the NCAA, actually the be- best thing I read this week, period, was written by our next guest. It's sort of a basketball version of Behind the Music and Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. It's about a young English Northwestern basketball fan who's grown into a remarkable young man and joining us on the Alpamani Ford hotline, Alpamani Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from, is that story's author, David Haw, of the morning show on The Score, 5 to 9, Monday through Friday, Molly and Haw. David, thanks for joining us. Hey, Steve. Hi, Matt. How are you? We're good. doing We're doing good. Um, I'm, we're, I, I love the story you wrote, and I wanted you, you. I wanted you to share it with the class because so many people remember it. And the follow-up to young John Phillips in Northwestern's first and only NCAA voyage is is terrific. So share with the class, would you? Yeah, sure. You probably have seen the commercial Pizza Hut has had. Uh, they start out with a fa- John Phillips sort of fa- image of anguish from two years ago at Northwestern against Gonzaga when uh, he became Northwestern kid and CBS showed his image 13 times during the, the loss against <laughs> Gonzaga. And wow. uh, they, they begin with that image. And it's a Pizza Hut commercial about some other thing, but they had to get the family's permission to use that image two years later because it became an Internet sensation. He became a meme. It's still out there. Hashtag Northwestern kid. If you type in, you know, to any gift search, it's it's uh, the crying Northwestern kid, you'll see his face. In order to use that, they needed the family's permission, and obviously they're going to pay him. They got, about a month ago, permission from uh, Jim and Laura Phillips. You know, Jim Phillips is the Northwestern athletic director. But before the family wanted to grant permission, they wanted to, they were concerned. I mean, look, as a, we're all parents, right? So you're concerned about the exposure of your your child at his most or her most vulnerable moment, and that was John's. And so they wanted to leave it up to John. And he's 14 now. He's got the braces off. He's all grown up. And he said, yeah, sure, but I want to do something with the money that they were going to pay him. And it's not a small chunk of change. I, I don't know the exact amount, but as uh, Laura Phillips told me, it's enough to pay for one uh year of Northwestern tuition, and Northwestern tuition was 55 grand last year. Whoa! So, yeah, it's, it's a big chunk of change. And John Phillips, 14-year-old philanthropist, <laughs> said, <laughs> said, said to his parents, I want to donate the money to, 
two charities that he did some research involved with Pizza Hut, and one is sort of a surplus food donation program called Harvest, and uh, the other one is book it, a, a literacy program, and he's a big, voracious reader. And Steve, you're right. You know, I, you, you, we, we both get cynical in doing this. I don't need to tell you that. And, and you, you write a lot of stories, and then you come across stuff like this, and, and these are the ones you like to, like to do and, and bring attention to because here's a teenager, you know, taking, uh, taking advantage of an opportunity to do something good, to make a positive out of, out of a negative. And that, uh, that experience was somewhat negative because it, it brought him attention he didn't necessarily want or deserve but two years later, he's making the most of it. We're talking with David Haw about the column. He, now, you hear him regularly with Mike Mulligan, Mully, and Haw, Monday through Friday on the score, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We're talking about a column he wrote for the Chicago Tribune, uh, my former Chicago Tribune, his current Chicago Tribune at times, and about John Phillips and the combination of the way he taught you, you. You took a great story. And you got out of the way as you were telling it, and I thought that was just terrific. Thanks. I mean, you got you've got to get out of the way, right? You've, you've we've been, you know, and and I think that Jim Phillips was actually a little bit sheepish about um, sharing it. And, and again, you talked about behind the music. Well, the story behind the story is Jim Phillips. I have not had one conversation with Jim Phillips about this story either before or after I've written it, um, because. You know, we do have a relationship. It is a good one. I consider him a really good friend. He's somebody that we, you know, we cover. I cover, but uh, Northwestern wanted to. Uh, I, I got wind of this. Northwestern made me aware of it. Uh, I went through Laura Phillips to talk to John, and Jim has been busy. He was on the NCAA selection committee, and he's in Des Moines all week putting together, you know, being a representative there for the NCAA first round. So. This was something that, you know, I don't know that the family feels all that comfortable putting their son out there, uh, but he's out there. I mean, anybody who's watching the tournament as closely as we're watching the tournament has seen that commercial, has seen that crying face, recognizes it, recognizes the crying face. And I just felt like it was something that deserved a little more context because even though the Phillips family, you know, has... Jim's got a great job, and, and you think that, boy, oh, heck, they don't need the money, whatever. They have five children. That's a large amount of money. And for a teenager to, to, to think in those terms. Is pretty amazing. It's without, pretty amazing, Matt. You're right. With, with, without, without a doubt, David. And, you know, it, you know it, it, it's a great read to think about when it happened. And the oldest son said to mom, uh, Mom, John's gone viral. And she's like, what's viral? <laughs> I, I wrote what, what that, that down. That I mean? circled that part of it. I thought <clears throat> the, the mom who comes through is like the velvet stiletto in this whole story. That mm-hmm. she's, she's on point, but she's going to do it in such a way. The fact that she has to ask her what, kid. What Luke, is that exactly? <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? All this stuff, anytime like passion and emotion becomes viral and gets laughed at like the crying piccolo girl from Villanova oh, yeah. a yeah. few years ago and 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 this and northwestern kid there's always part of me that gets gets angry because people are always laughing look at this kid look at this kid or like sad fan sad college football fans or whatever it's like isn't that the passion that is underneath all of our interest in this entire enterprise in the first place? That's how any of us give a crap 
how any of us were, you know, yes. got into the business or got into the fandom and log on in the first place. And we have the audacity to make fun of people who still are connected to that passion. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, and it seems like it. and it seems it like he, he owns that happily. Like, yeah, so I cried, whatever. I wear my emotions on my sleeve, whatever. That's me. Well, that's what I loved about talking to him. And, and you know, he, he's 14 now. He seems a lot older. And, and it's funny, guys. I'm sitting here watching with the volume down, Maryland and, and LSU as, as we're talking. And, and that commercial comes on, and I'm seeing it again huh. in, real, in real time. And, and you know, his face, he, he's into it. You know, and, and the thing that he said to me is that, you know, he, he, uh, he, he's not ashamed of it because all it did was underscore who he was and his, lo- his passion for his family, um, Northwestern and just sports in general, and and I think that is what every teenager can really, what, what every sports fan, whether you're in as a business as we are or just a fandom, you relate to the teenager inside you. You remember wh- whoever that team was that you rooted for yep. back when you were 12 or 13 years old, and everybody's got a little John Phillips in them. Now I don't know that everybody's got a little bit of John Phillips in them that they donate, uh, you know, 70 grand to their favorite causes, <laughs> but. <laughs> I think the fandom is something that we can certainly relate to. And uh, as we texted back and forth this week, I remarking on terrific parenting and you suggested great parenting. And I, 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 I don't know. There was no kid that would ever do what you were describing without great parenting. You're right. Because this is just, this is quite the home where that's your response. And it didn't sound in the story. And of course the reporting, it didn't sound like he was pushed towards this. It sounded like, Hey, it's your face. What do you want to do? Is that the yeah, way? Anybody that knows Jim and Laura Phillips, uh, you know, they are special people and you know, Jim does a terrific job. They've got five kids. Uh, I've met him and uh, I've always been struck and I've known Jim a long time going back to when he was at Notre Dame and I was in South Bend. Hmm. And, um, when uh, when I met uh, whether you know as old as Luke running running at Notre Dame as an athlete and and uh, I can remember the first time I met those kids uh, when they were probably barely old enough to you know at, at a Cubs game or something shaking hands looking in the eye you know Mr. Haw and it's it, that is an example of great parenting and and you see that and it is it's a, it's one of the stories you like to do and, and uh, hopefully uh, people enjoyed reading about it because John Phillips is the guy. My sense is uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear from John Phillips again one day in one capacity because he's he's giving talks this week after school and he, he's awarding checks and he's uh, he's on the circuit guys and so this is uh, the awarding. beginning of John Phillips philanthropist. He's awarding <laughs> amazing. Checks. Yeah, he oh, build a, I think it'd be the big like a golf big golf check kind of thing. <laughs> sure, big cardboard. Check, yeah. Congratulations to and he, and he's going to be making the rounds. And Pizza Hut is uh, uh, taking, you know, they're, they're allowing him to do this. And you know, this is just a, a good example of, um, I guess, you know, take, uh, taking ownership of a situation because they could have just uh, it felt like a, a little exploited, maybe. Mm. But uh, that isn't what this is. Pizza Hut should make a campaign out of what John Phillips is doing. Seriously, yeah. what would yeah, be, I mean, what would be better for them? What would be better that for Pizza Hut's contributions? Well, to their credit, I got like the the charities that he is funneling the money towards are ones that Pizza Hut has been working with for a long for, time. For a long time, so he did. Yeah. John Phillips did the research and realized it was Pizza Hut um, that it was their charities that they've been working with for a long time are good. I'm, I should say. And I think it's okay to say, after we've given them all the free advertising, I absolutely, 
absolutely hate the product. Oh, my God. That is a terrible pizza, David. That sauce is just horrific. That's allowed, man. You're, you're entitled to do that. I mean, you're Chicago. You're not I think getting, you have look, a lot of options. Right? I mean, come on. There's so much good local pizza. Like, no, no, no. But no. it's not for us. It's we, not for us in yeah, a big city. We spent the first. Well, you know what the good news is? is guys, I, I don't have to actually endorse the product to write the column. Right. <laughs> right. So, true. Right. And I want to make sure that we weren't doing the uh-huh. same. Uh, yeah. So I will call your attention to one other ad campaign besides Pizza Hut. Running during the NCAA. It's the AT&T and the Color Man. Do you remember Steve? I'm yes. glad you brought that up. Do you remember him? Yes, I do. As soon as he jumped off my screen. The, the, the <laughs> Color Man is, and I saw it yesterday I had with a sound up. I didn't, on Thursday I didn't. His name is Tim Baltz. He's a, a pale guy. He's a very Chicago, pale, Chicago, pale Chicago guy with blondish hair. And he's a Color Man and his play-by-play guy turns to him and he says, Yes, well, it's Purdue. They have black, and um, they're yellow on the uniform. It's like a sunflower. And the play-by-play guy says, you know, you're not really supposed to talk about just the color. And Tim pauses and go, well, yellow is a secondary color. And <laughs> That's all he's got. Tim Ball, he's and he's the just... guy weaving baskets, and he's yes. the guy in the, in the spoofs. He's the AT&T guy who ah. is the comedian from Chicago. That we know from back about I think 2010 when we did those shows at uh, at the Chicago Theater, Chicago Live as part of the Tribune, and Tim Baltz was our guy uh, who was kind of leading the way. He was. He was our mediator. Second City produced this Tribune Live. I remember them show. Yep. And we, David and I, would do about four minutes. That was just we'd, we'd show up there. Joel Quenville says, "You guys write that." He says, and we said, "No, it's it's unscripted. It's just whatever it is." He Tim was the mediator and. He had to leave Second City in order to do whether it was going to be um, Saturday Night Live or wherever he's going to go. We know his time was up. He graduated, and he keeps popping up on all these things, and it's terrific. And I didn't know if you had – if you're watching commercials, David, I'm sure you – I wanted to make sure you saw it. I didn't want you to oh, miss Oh, you can't this. miss him. He's everywhere. Right. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm trying to uh, – I think we should book him for the show this week. He's, he'd be great yes. because he's got that sort of – He's a real approachable guy. He's a funny guy, and he was definitely one of those uh, personalities you deal with and you remember. It was ter- it was terrific. I the, doing that that experience was really great. That was we did one of the shows we did. Rick Rick Kogan was our sure. What, I saw some downstairs of the Chicago Theater. Yes, right? yeah. Where if you showed up early enough, you got to meet Drake, which I did one night. He was appearing upstairs in the Chicago Theater. <laughs> so one of the Rick Kogan was good friends with Dennis DeYoung. I mean, childhood friends. And he wanted Dennis DeYoung to be on the show, but Dennis DeYoung didn't want to commit to it. He wanted to see one. So Dennis DeYoung showed up at a show. And Rick introduced him. He stood up in the audience like it was a, the Ed Sullivan show, right, in our audience. After the show, Dennis DeYoung walks up to us, and I look at him, and I go, I want you to sing Lorelei right now. Can you sing <laughs> Lorelei right here? He goes, I-, I will in a minute. But let me tell you, if you were a rock critic, I would kick your ass every day. But since you're a sports guy, you stay on the McCaskies and the Bears. He <laughs> was great. You know, that, that whole experience was a lot of fun. And we met some really fascinating people up close and personal in those, in those settings that you wouldn't ordinarily in the jobs that we do. That's right. And they all yeah. wanted to talk to us. The Second City guys hated everything except the sports talk. That was great. It yeah, was fun. That's yeah. what they wanted. Definitely Tim Balls was one of those memorable guys. David, thank you for joining us. Terrific work. It was a lot. It was a terrific read, and and hopefully we'll we'll follow John Phillips in whatever future he has, 
and wherever he goes, handing out checks, and we all yep. hope to go viral the way he did. We'll see you soon. Enjoy the show. Thanks, right. David. 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 Right, see you guys. David Haw, Molly and Haw, Monday through Friday, 5 to 9. It's really a great piece in the Tribune. You can find it on chicagotribune.com. It's a lot of fun. And our guy Tim Balt shows up on TV commercials. We're thrilled to do that. This hour is brought to you by Continental Toyota. Looking to buy a new or pre-owned Toyota today? Visit Continental Toyota on the Grange Road at I-55 or ContinentalToyota.com. Okay, top of the hour, we'll talk with Jordan Bastian of MLB.com. He's covering the Cubs. I have a Cubs issue I want to bring up with Matt. And Matt also needs to explain why he played hooky last week. So we'll do that. We have other nonsense that we will deal with because this is Saturday Suckage. Rosenblum and Spiegel, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And with that, why don't you give us some insight from your days as a player? I'm a happily married man now, Ken, so I hardly think those stories would be appropriate. From your days as a basketball player, Phil. Oh, heavens, why? Those are boring. That's that's our guy, Tim Baltz. Me and David Haw, where he was the moderator, the Second City guy. He's he's sort of become that guy. You see his face in a lot of places. He's done some, was it a, a Hulu? Some cable work. He was in a cable series. And just a great guy. That's it. When you were a player, I don't think that's appropriate. I love that. Thank you, Michael Chen, for finding that. Okay. So we have much to discuss in what is a half hour before we talk to Jordan Bastian of MLB.com covering the Cubs. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Yes, sir. Is Matt Spiegel and Pat Hughes. Tomorrow night at six o'clock. Yeah. Right, right here in, well, sort of not here, but in the performance, right? Over in the Blue Cross Blue Shield Performance Studio, right down the hall, uh-huh. um, courtesy of Illinois Lottery, who is the sponsor of the event. It's uh, a baseball season kickoff show of sorts, two hours, the first hour of which I get to spend with Pat Hughes in conversation. And I, I love talking to Pat Hughes about mm-hmm. a million things. Uh, they're talking about basketball because he's a very good shooter and a, and a rec league basketball guy. We won't talk about that. Um, rock and roll. Big music guy is Pat Hughes. Old vintage rock and roll. Um, we talk uh, a lot about that whenever I see him over at Wrigley in the lunchroom there before a ball game. And obviously uh, baseball. He's a big fan of baseball as well. Two things about that. We, we got to talk. Me and Espo, when you ditched out on Cubs convention for the first show. Pat Hughes is one of our guests and he does these wonderful, he's put together these CDs, these history of broadcasters because he, his loves his craft. He loves the people who help pave the way for him in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Talking to Pat Hughes makes you feel diminished as a wordsmith. But if you want to talk to him about something else that may, I have no idea what your audience is waiting for. Talk about the Kennedy assassination. Oh, really? Go down a rabbit hole with him on that? Uh-huh. Yeah. We argued about Carlos Marcelo and Santo Traficante, who really was the brains behind, who called for the assassination. Oh, really? Yeah, whether it was the New Orleans family or the Miami family. So firmly in the mob camp, both he and you, in terms I, of who done it. We we sort of, yeah. Well, not, you know, not the to, Cubans. Not the Cubans. Well, but on behalf of the Cubans, ah. everybody had their own... Everybody had their own block of Cuba. Like, much like Hyman Roth, when they're 
cutting his birthday cake in in Godfather Two, and they're mm-hmm. they're dividing up Cuba. It's a, a cake in the shape of Cuba, and they're cutting up Cuba. Great, just great messaging there. So you can have a discussion with Pat Hughes. He is he is as fascinated with that with the Kennedy assassination as he is with the color of the pirates' uniforms. <laughs> I know, the, I know, he does the love that and the trip. You know, I, I also, I, I'm sure that I, I will go down. I will go down some of the um, the romantic baseball avenues that I like to drive on. Like, what are those? Well, sure, there's so you know many. What? Can we all hitch a ride with you right now? Sure. Well, what are they? because I could, I could talk um, for a long time about aesthetically pleasing things in baseball, specific aesthetic pleasures that I get from watching a game when they happen. There's a confluence of, of, of kind of characteristics that'll give me just such satisfaction in a moment. Um, a pitcher freezing somebody with a two-strike curveball for a called strike three and walking off the field before anybody has really had a chance to even react, before the ump calls strike three, certainly before the, the batter moves, before the fans know what happens, the pitcher's walking off. Oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. That just whew, it gets me to no end. Um, and just the like a double to the gap with a runner on first – that ends up leading to a play at the plate where there's ideally a relay throw that's well executed. I don't give a crap whether the guy is out or safe, but give me everybody on the field executing their role in that dance perfectly, including the pitcher running to behind the plate to back up the throw, which is his job. Do your effing job. You know, if you watch the field on a play like that, everybody's moving. Everybody's moving. A, a, a second baseman may be getting the relay throw, but the shortstop has a place to be. He's got a bag to cover, or he's got a backup spot to be. Everybody's got responsibility. If they're all paying attention, it's this gorgeous geometry that takes place on a play like that. That, that kind of stuff. I, I wonder what Pat Hughes loves in that same kind of way. I, I bring that up. I, would, I will, based on what you've just described, my first thought was, I am that kind of... I wouldn't call it a gourmet. I'm that kind of person needing a drool cup when I see the three six three double play. Uh huh. Uh huh. And it's one thing to see it with a left-handed first baseman because it, nothing looks smoother than that when well executed. Disco Tony Rizzo. But I always thought one of the best I'd ever seen. Now I sound like Hawk Harrelson, but it was Paul Konerko executing the three six three double play was for a guy who wasn't fast, wasn't quick, and was right-handed, that was the thing. And for all that that he got dogged about at times, that was quite the thing, watching him do that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Right. Now let me ask you about two plays. As you described the well-executed relay, taking the extra base, play at the plate, play at third. Derek Jeter's... Glove flip. Oh, sure. Against Oakland. Ex- that that kind of that kind of exceptional play. Okay, but when the awareness. What was he is, doing there? What What was he doing That's, there? You said everybody knows the spot they go to. Derek Jeter knows only Derek Jeter's spots. Derek Jeter <laughs> had no reason to be there except. Mm-hmm. Might as well. He's Derek Jeter. Well, but the fact is, I, he probably didn't have specific responsibility on that play, so he's got the freedom to roam 
like Troy Polamalu as a safety <laughs> with the option to go after the quarterback if you want, do yeah. whatever you want off the line of scrimmage. You yeah. know, I, I, it's a good question, but I, I don't think Jeter had a specific responsibility, so he might as well roam and put himself in a, in a position to possibly help things along the way. Okay, and then there's Mark Burley's play on opening day, the greatest defensive play ever in the history of man. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mark Burley, today, I know. Did as a matter of fact. I think it was Chuck Garfine retweeted his... 10-year-old Little League picture. Wow. I think so. And, yeah, or, or somebody else did. And there he was, happy kid. Yeah. And um, and he was a guy who every writer wanted to work with. You wanted to be there for that game because it would be 90 minutes. Be 90 minutes. Yeah, him and, between him and Maddox. Mm-hmm. Him and Maddox do that game, and it's over in 10 minutes, and they'll tell you. the. Maddox was the guy who would be walking off the mound when he threw that pitch. You were Absolutely. Talking about. <laughs> and Burley would be the guy who is throwing the next pitch before you even got into the batter's box. Before Maddox reached the, the dugout. Yes. There, I mean, there's, there's so many things and so many different plays, and that's why I just can't wait for Thursday and the six months to follow where we get this companion sport of baseball back in our lives. Because any, a sacrifice fly... Give me, have I ever told you what my favorite play in All-Star Game history is, Steve? Your favorite play in All-Star Game Baseball history? Baseball All-Star Game history. So growing up, mm-hmm. it might have been Ray Fossey, Pete Rose, because that was, talk about a play, play mm. at the plate. Um, it might have been at your age, it might have been, you would have hated Reggie, but he hit the light standard in In, in for, Detroit? Yeah. I'm, I'm that a little, was an All-Star moment. I'm a little was, younger than that, so... It's it's mid mid eighties really was my prime all star game love, but you, you'd never guess it because okay. it's it does. Then sh- we're gonna flip all the cards. 87, 1987 all star game, um, and I think it's in Oakland. I believe it's at Oakland Alameda Coliseum. I, I believe it's not a that's not a celebration. That's a sentence. They're in extra innings. They're in extra innings in a tie game. Okay. Tim Raines is at third base for the National League. There's one out, and a medium-range fly ball is hit to right field. Who's the right fielder? Dwight Evans. Oh, my God. We've got ourselves a setup here. Right? And Dwight Evans perfectly gets under the fly ball, and you know what this looks like when it's executed well. And he catches it as his foot, as his feet are ready to make the step into the throw. The crow hop. Yes. And, like, it, there is zero wasted body movement on behalf of Dwight Evans, who had one of the greatest arms ever in the history of the game. And he makes an unbelievably perfect one-hop throw to the plate where the catcher, I think it was Jim Sunberg. I, I don't remember. Oh it might have been, I, I, might, I think, it could have been Daryl Porter. I, no, no, no. It, it was after that. I forget who it was. Maybe it was Terry Steinbach. I don't know. But either way, he makes this perfect one-hop throw to the plate, right? And it hits the glove just to the left of home plate. Tim Raines didn't run. He chose not to challenge Dwight Evans' arm, right? In extra innings, everybody wants to go home. What are you doing here? Because it's Dwight Evans. And it's and you don't run on Dwight Evans, even if you're Tim bleeping Reigns. Or you might have to run into the catcher, <clears throat> and you know that's not a good ending for that. Well, that's true. That's body. true. But they showed the replay three times. Of this throw. There was no play at the plate. They showed the replay three times because the throw was so perfect and the respect from Tim Raines for Dwight Evans was so 
obviously correct and earned. I just, oh, God. My, that, that's the kind of stuff that gets me going like crazy. I, my favorite All-Star Game moment is John Crook against Randy Johnson. <laughs> Google that. Use yeah. your Google machine. So uh, before we take a break, I, when we come back, I have a Cubs thing I need to talk to you. It looks like okay. there's a mistake. But I did want to share this tweet, this text from Peoria Matt. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Pat Hughes. His, and he certainly, he's a Kennedy assassinational file. He's done a lot of reading on it. And I'll quote him, Jack Ruby, wearing black pants, gray socks, black shoes. (laughs) Nicely done, Fioria Matt. All right, we come back. I have a Cubs thing I need to discuss with um, Cub fan over here. Steve Rosenblum, Matt Spiegel, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. That's deflected over. Look at the play by Burley. Mercy. Wow. From the Gold Glove winner. Look at this. That one's going to be on highlight reels all year long. Take a look at this one again. And they're going to give Burley a chance to see if he's entirely healthy. He flips it between his legs to a barehanded catch. Hermes coming out to take a look at Burley because that one hit him square. What an effort by Mark Burley. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. John Crook fanning himself off. Johnson has had pitches clocked at as much as 102 miles per hour in Major League play. Now that this ball uh, obviously just getting away from him, but watch the reaction of John Crook. Would you say his heart is palpitating a bit? When the second half resumes on Thursday. <laughs> Look at the next step. Blame John one bit on his right leg. <laughs> he failed out again at the breaking point. He wants no part of Randy Johnson. That was my favorite all-star moment. Randy Johnson, big, big unit. Left-hander throwing to the left-handed hitting John Crock. He's terrified. And he couldn't run back out of the batter's box fast enough. Like, when the ball's going back to Randy Johnson, he's running out of the batter's <laughs> box. He used the Google machine. By the way, that was in um, Ozzie Guillen, a regular on the score now, and a regular on NBC Sports Chicago, I think White Sox, pre-post game. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just me, and maybe it is just me being... You know, the Cialis makes me hard of hearing, and then I can't always keep up with him. So it was, apparently it's other people, too. And so now that we've, we've hit this name here, I wanted to, I did an out loud interview with um, Ozzie Guillen. We're sitting there. Scott Reifert was there in Ozzie's office when he's managing, and he's giving me the time to ask the series of questions I want to ask. Okay. And they're listening to him, and I said, so you came here, you spoke no... English, what, who, was, who was important? How did you grasp the language? How were you able to communicate? And he had, he had said, um, Joan Kroc, right? So Ray Kroc owned the Padres. Mm-hmm. He came up with the Padres before Jerry Krause found him and traded him for Lamar Hoyt. And I thought, wow, that's really an immersion by the owning the family ownership, right? Here's the wife, Ray Kroc. And, so it ran that way. It's Scott Reifert called me up and said, 
we thought you knew. We didn't even think to make sure you knew. It wasn't Joan Crock. It was John Crook. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, and that's where Ozzy... That I said, you're kidding. He goes, no, he tried to say it, but and we all knew what he was talking Joan about. Joan Croc. Joan Croc. But he said Joan Croc. Of and he meant he John Croc, also uh. in the Padres organization. And this hillbilly <laughs> from West Virginia, John Croc, he's the one who taught Ozzy that potty mouth stuff. Of that's course. why he sounds like that. Oh, that's phenomenal. So I just said, okay, <laughs> you know what? That's a moment. That's a moment. Okay. Salsa. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's right. Joan Croc. <laughs> Oh, I can totally So I have a that. problem with your Cubs. Oh, I didn't know I was responsible for the entire organization. John Lester yeah? will pitch opening day. Good. And he should. Good pitcher. Yeah. Tremendous veteran. Checks every box in terms of a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hey, I beat cancer. Okay, well, I'll add that to the list. And I beat a lot of other teams to win World Series rings. And I'm tough as hell and I'm better than my stuff should allow me to be at this point in my career. Okay, so, to your knowledge, who's going the next day? To my knowledge? To your knowledge. Um, because we're not there yet. Well, I think it would be you, Darvish, if not for the blister. Well, you, Darvish, was talking that even though he threw a bullpen session and had the, the Band-Aid come off and was showing pictures of the blister, he says he'll be ready for his start against Texas. If not, Cole Hamels moves up. Right. The mistake they're making is you, Darvish. I, I hate. I've come to hate when they when they signed him last year. I said they win the World Series. That was it. And then when they came to camp this year and he was looking good, I said I picked them to world win the World Series last year. So I guess they have last year's team to win this year's World Series, even though the division is so much better and just got a lot scarier with Goldschmidt signing for five years now, uh-huh. or it was announced today. You, Darvish, should not pitch the first series. The last thing I want is him pitching this year the way he reacted so badly to the money last year. I don't want him pitching against Texas. More so, I want Jose Quintana pitching because they got five left-handed batters in the lineup the Rangers do. And if you pitch Quintana in the first three games in Texas, he's in line to pitch against Milwaukee, against whom he has a 1.60 career ERA. Mm -hmm. So why, why is there any question... You, Darvish, you and your blister can sit. We're winning games. There's urgency, right? If Theo Epstein is serious about getting to his manager about urgency. And manage that way, too. Yes. Here's your rotation. Here, I mean, yes. Here's your rotation because we need to win the first three games. Three left-handers against a lineup that has five left-handed hitters usually in it. And I want Quintana pitching against Milwaukee. He may have been... He has been a disappointment since that trade. Look what it's cost the Cubs, and and they haven't won anything. The one thing they do win are games against the Brewers, which they have to win now mm-hmm. when Quintana pitches, or at least they get a good effort if they don't win. They they're going to get Quintana's going to give them their best shot. I don't understand why that's not going to be the rotation to start the season. I I have no argument. Well, then you're to fired. Make. Then you're fired. Get out of here. You have no urgency in answering. I have no urgency in countering your extremely well-thought-out Cubs rotation issues. And I love 
the seriousness with which you are taking every single game and every single series. Theo that's, told us to. Damn right he did. I'm reading a book on the history creation of the movie Casablanca, and I'm reading about his family roots. They, they're, they're in this town. They're given Julius and and Philip Epstein are given way too much credit for writing Casablanca. It was a play that they adapted, and Howard Koch wrote the serious stuff. They wrote the jokes in there. But I can see the creative part of the Epstein family. And when he said, when when somebody who comes from this line of brilliance says urgency, I'm 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 right with you. I'm I'm in that army. I'm marching. Mm-hmm. And it starts with day one, John Lester, left-handed ace. It starts with day two, Cole Hamels, who was really your second half ace. Yeah, remember you go to Atlanta between those two road series against Texas and Milwaukee. This is not, you know, especially after Texas, that's a couple of very difficult road trips immediately and, and, and in a row. Um, interesting. I, I, can you can you say for sure that they're going to have all those lefties in the Texas lineup all those three days? I'm if they sure don't, they, they're not as good a team. They've done their scouting. They've yeah. done their scouting and they're looking, so they they will find out. And they just lost Jason Hamill. You told me. Oh, Jason Hamill just retired. Jason Hamill made the Rangers. He made the Rangers yesterday. Was one of the final two people to be announced as making the Rangers. Who's the other one? Who was in Jason Hamill's graduating class? Oh, God, that's a good question. Uh, let's see, because I, I, I did just see it. Logan Forsyth and Jason Hamill were the two guys who made the roster. Logan Forsyth. Yeah, that's, they made the opening day roster. And now Jason Hamill has retired. So I guess he didn't want didn't to do it anymore. Don't want, to, don't want to work here anymore. Jason I know Hamill. I shouldn't text while driving a show. Yes. But David Haw just, David Haw messaged us, said, told you. And there's a picture of John Phillips. Giving the giant check? Oversized checks to family <laughs> focus. <laughs> so. Um, it's amazing. We, we didn't I think I, you were lying, David. I really, after going through all that and the way you reported and researched uh-huh. the story and vetted everything, I didn't think you were lying. I also, I loved him. I loved him in the Mamas and the Papas. I thought he did a terrific job. Yes, writing those songs and singing them and and and, and betting Michelle. The, it's in the family bloodstream. John Philip Sousa is the is part of the family tree. So that's a. And here's another baseball thing that you might be interested in. Okay, if you have like fifty five thousand dollars. I just ask, uh, you know, you don't have to tell me. I, I had it. 9 a.m. Monday morning, just uh, so you know. Yeah. In Nashville will become the bidding uh, for the uh, Greer, the Greer Stadium giant guitar scoreboard. Starts at 55000 And it really is. The, the neck is where the, the line score is. Oh, How perfect is that's that? That's beautiful. And the I've body with it. the sound hole is where they put the ads for it. That is tremendous. You're showing me a picture of it for those uh, not watching on, on Dave Baum's Channel 1. Channel with the Zitzen plug adapter. <laughs> yes, exactly right. But that So that guitar-shaped scoreboard, it looks great. I happen to have the extra 55 grand lying around. <laughs> no, I would get in on the EBIT. I, I, just, I don't know where I'd put it. That's the problem. Well, the problem is it wouldn't just cost you that. You not only have to fl- find a place to put it. I got to move you it. Be, you would be responsible for paying for its removal. <laughs> and the transportation. This used to be, this was the scoreboard of the home of the Nashville Sounds, like in the 70s. 
their minor league team. It still ah. exists, but they moved into a spanking new stadium. It was beautiful in, in Germantown, and there's some wonderful restaurants in and around Germantown. I mean, Nashville's become such a foodie town, but the fact that this was a rem- – this goes back – before it became Nash Vegas and before you started having mainstream groups – go to Nashville to record and yeah. Nashville turning out mainstream music, right? And and they have a now I think it's a rule that it's monthly. They have to have an Academy of Country Music Award show. I think they do it every month now. And this how perfect is that for like That's amazing. Scruggs and Flat Night at Greer Field. Right, That's tremendous. Share, I just wanted to share that. Um, speaking of foodie, by the way. Yes. Did you read about the member of the Oakland A's who um, who traveled because they were just in Japan, right? I did read. And I forget, I I forget which player it was. It was in The Athletic. It, uh, it was in The Athletic, and it was awesome because there's that one. He's a, he's a pitcher for the Oakland A's who is an it, like an epic foodie, and he made the most of his time in Japan. He went and had and the best sushi of his life, and among many, many other meals while the he was there. Pictures of the food were gorgeous. Yes, and the one thing they do in Japan, my one visit to Japan, that the the menus are on the outside are pictures of every every food possibility. Everything on the menu has a picture to go with it. Mm-hmm. You, this is what it looks like. Yes. Speaking of which. Did you see some? Did you see the Red Sox, uh, White Sox menu, the food menus? Yeah, there's some uh, some some ridiculous things that look very good. The, there are the they have buffalo chicken fries, and they have chili and cheese fries, and that alone is one. They have Greek fries, and they do have, as I said, Nashville hot chicken. Nashville's everywhere now, and the the. Backyard fire roasted local sausage board, where you got it's like basically it's um, assorted handcrafted sausages served with grilled sweet peppers, onions, assorted mustards, jardinero relish on hearth baked hoagie rolls. But that's only for the diamond sweets. Mm. Now, bacon popcorn, I think it's popcorn cooked or popcorn in with, bacon grease, bacon grease, and bacon butter on top. Yeah, and I just had this the other fire roasted Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts, and they come with bacon. I love Brussels sprouts too, and Brussels and sprouts and bacon. That sounds delightful. I did. I I I I, 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 I continue to try and perfect the Brussels sprout, as uh, and I, I have issues, but I, I will never stop trying. No, there are so many different ways to put bacon with Brussels sprouts, and and we should go go after all of them. The triple play burger has. Is quite the thing that you need EMT standing by. Angus beef patty, fried bologna, and bacon. Topped with secret sauce, cheddar cheese on a brioche bun. Just can't can't get enough. Life after ball games. I, I've, always, I've always said I'm not going to be healthy when I die. So anything that can raise my cholesterol level will help me achieve that. A couple of uh, baseball nuggets. Uh, the White Sox have sent Nicky Delmonico down to the minors. If you wondered about the roster crunch with Eloy Jimenez probably going to make the opening day roster, that's something. And Justin Verlander has just signed a two-year, $66 million extension with the Houston Astros, further dwindling next year's free agent class um, as the Manny Machado whiff 
looms larger by the day, in my opinion. Not that they were going to go get Verlander, but the point is that all these guys are signing extensions and the free agent lists are looking uglier in years to come. So Kate Upton is really out of play for me at this point. Is that I think so. Saying? I think that we extra just, 66 We mil. were just talking, because I have a story about Ryan Hartman's wife that I'll get to later. Athletes don't always marry blonde, but they always marry beautiful. That's just, it's, it's part of the handbook. You know, when they have all that rookie initiation, that must be part of, that must be a full chapter. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk Cubs. We'll talk Cubs rotation, opening the season. Are they favorites? Should they be favorites? Is there any urgency? I got more urgency than Joe Madden, it seems to me, in the, with the rotation. Mm-hmm. We'll discuss that with Jordan Bastion of MLB.com. Rosenblum with Spiegel, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.